Voices that inspire the extended interview. My name is Kelly Audie, and I am the founder and executive director of the Oasis Center for Women and Girls. So, Kelly, you have had a long career Mm -hmm. in supporting young girls and women, Mm -hmm. whether it was a refuge house and then where you are now. I mean, Mm -hmm. you just have – did you always have that passion for Mm -hmm. girls? No. So um, I grew up in a very traditional home. I really was raised to be a secretary. There wasn't even a conversation about college in my house and to get married and to find somebody who could provide for me. But along the way, I ended up volunteering at a domestic violence center in Carson City. And when I walked in and started working there, I didn't understand why women could be as badly beaten as they were and there was no legal recourse. And so it made me curious. And so I stayed doing that kind of volunteer work. We moved from Nevada to Virginia, and I ended up under the mentorship of a woman named Dr. Alice Twining, who she made the first connection for me from why is it women that are predominantly battered to their sort of place in the societal power structure. And that changed my life. It literally took me to college. It changed the direction of my life, what I wanted to do. I all of a sudden became very interested and fired up around the idea of unfairness and and, um, injustice. And I just was very fortunate that I had women along the way and a couple of men who really mentored me to figure out what was my role then. If you recognize that, what do you do to fix it? That's really fascinating. You know, I think how many stories you hear, it's somebody who sees something that's so unfair Mm -hmm. that you can't stay silent. Yeah. Or how many times do we actually take the time to explain to somebody who's curious about injustice or recognizes that something's wrong, how often do we stop to be able to explain it in a way that encourages people to evolve? Um, I think the greatest fear that I have right now about society is that we are standing on opposite sides of the street yelling at each other. And that has a place in social change. It really does. But there also has to be a place where we're inviting people to learn. And so I have always fallen on that side, which is mentoring, teaching, encouraging the community to do the right thing. Um, And I think that's an obligation that we have when we want to do this work. I am. I I think it is part of that. If you're mm-hmm. taking it on, then you have to be the advocate for it beyond just the work itself. Yes, absolutely. So what was the reaction of your family in this seeing you, this light bulb turn on, on you, in you and suddenly, no, I'm, not, I, mm-hmm. I'm rejecting just this one menu for me. I, I want this menu over here. Mm-hmm. So what happens when your life changes in that regard is not only do they see you differently, but you see them differently. And one of the things that I think is the greatest gift that happened to me is that my mother started telling the truth about her own life and my early life. And when she did that, there became a very strong personal connection to the work 
But my mother didn't raise me in that awareness. Like she didn't talk to me about the fact that she had been abused as a child. She didn't talk to me about the fact that my biological father was abusive. We didn't we didn't talk about that. And so I didn't have a personal connection. But suddenly years into the work I did, and I think that what happened is it created this honesty in our family that didn't exist. Some of that was good. Some of it was bad because I wanted honesty. Some members of my family didn't want honesty. They distanced themselves from me, and that's just the way that it is. Other people sunk into it, like my mother and my sister, who wanted that connection and the truth to be told. So I think the work is always twofold when you do social change work. It's personal and public. And so there's the part that you're doing to fight for the community and for doing things right with a greater population. But there's also this opportunity that we have to dig into who we are in our own hearts and figure out who we want to be and how we want to be in the world. It's a lot to process. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for the long answers because I can definitely talk about this stuff. Well, it's it's important and it's Mm -hmm. such a huge part of who you are and Mm -hmm. how you came to be Mm -hmm. you can't just dismiss that sort Mm -hmm. of so how did you end up then in Tallahassee (laughs) so um we moved to Norfolk Virginia right after I got married so I was 25 got married we moved to Norfolk Virginia my husband was a junior in college so we could pretty much go wherever we wanted to. He is the reason I went to school. I was fired up about the work, but I was also, he was the first person that ever said to me, of course you're going to go to school. Why wouldn't you go to school? And so I started going to school because he thought I could. And we just kind of, we were sort of on a long vacation. I don't know how to describe that. I worked in Norfolk, Virginia for two years And then we moved to Bradenton, Florida for no other reason other than I met somebody where I worked in Norfolk that lived in Bradenton and said it was a great place to live. So Scott applied to the University of South Florida, and then we stayed long enough for him to graduate. And He's a CPA, so to pass the CPA exam. And then we followed his career to Jacksonville. So we spent five years there after he got hired. And then I applied as the executive director of Refuge House. And so we came to Tallahassee so I could take that position. And when was that? 1996. Okay. Yeah, so you came about the same time I came here. Uh, what year did mm-hmm. you get here? I got here in 95. Oh, we were both brand new. Yeah. Yeah, because the first time I ever did radio was that I did everything that first year. I have no idea how it happened, but it was that very first year I uh, was to come in and start talking about what was happening. There was. A, do you remember there was a murder yeah. out at the Publix? It was Penny Knowles. I moved here a month before that happened. Yep. Boy, that's a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And we got a lot of really good work done. But the thing with when you're writing an injustice, you first have to educate people that there is an injustice, but you also have to come in with solutions. And this is how we can do things better. And I was fortunate that that is how I was taught to do the work. So I came into the community saying these things shouldn't be this way, but here are some ideas on how we could do some things different and was fortunate to really hook up with a lot of great people in this community who wanted the same thing or more, and we were able to move the dial. I left Refuge House in 2005 because I was burned out. 
like burnt out and it was starting to have an impact on my marriage and my the relationship I had with my two children by that time. And I needed to stop. And so um, we left and then I was the inaugural executive director for United Partners for Human Services. That started in 2005. And then in 2007, I founded Oasis. Uh, so... And when you when you were thinking about what Oasis was going to become, what what did you want that to be? What did you want Oasis to be? Oasis is doing exactly what we wanted it to do at that time, which is that it is half advocacy and education. So half of it is to talk about what are the needs of women and girls, what are the barriers that create problems for them, and then the other half of what we do is direct service, but we've always had a commitment to not doing anything anybody else is doing. So as long as we see that there's a gap or a need, so we provide um, individual counseling for women at low to no cost. We provide um, girls' circles, which is a it's a resiliency program. It increases resiliency in girls. Then we offer that in the Leon County schools. And then we have a world-famous camp called Girls Can Do Anything Summer Camp, which the idea of the camp is to expose girls to possibilities for their lives that they may not know exist. Or and, like having someone say, you could go to college. Yes. You don't have to just become someone's wife. Yes. And like we took them out to see the, the welding school. They learned how to – they met with women in construction to learn how you would build a house or build a bird feeder or whatever. It just we, to turn them on to the ideas that there's more to the world than just one prescription. So do you get pressure that – there aren't things like this for boys. Do you do you have to get that nonsense sometimes? Like, hey, you know, what about boys? Nobody's teaching this stuff to boys. So not at Oasis, we don't really get that pushback. At Refuge House, we got it a lot. And it had a lot to do with we're talking about the victimization of women. And so people wanted to talk about the victimization of men and boys, which is also very real. And so I think it's a dual relationship of expanding our own sort of understanding. But I've always been very firm in my belief that it is okay that we concentrate on one population of people where there's a need and that we specialize in the needs of women and girls, that that's okay. And we created the Commission on the Status of Women and Girls. And then the sheriff has had the vision for the Council on Men and Boys for I think he first talked to me about it when he was running for office the very first time. Like he's been very committed to trying to do that as well. So I think that's wonderful. And I was happy to talk with him in any way that would help him bring his vision to life. So I just don't think there's a problem with specializing. That's, yeah, I, I don't either. And I think it helps. Mm -hmm. It helps great comfort within those groups too, to be able to be comfortable to say what they want to say mm -hmm. uh, without feeling repercussions in those conversations. Or a place that's safe. Like um, we were sitting down today because we had leftovers from something we did yesterday. And so the whole team came together and just sat around the conference room and just laughed. And the things they talk about are not – well, you know what happens when women get together. It's not a mixed gender group. They get to say what's on their mind in a way. We had a woman nursing her baby in front of us, another woman running out to get pads. Like it's it's a woman safe space. And I think we all need safe spaces, regardless of who we are, or what our population is, or what gender we identify or don't. We all need a place we get to be safe. 
it seems like that should be a basic human right to, Don't you? to feel safe um, <laughs> and be in a safe zone. Yeah. So, Kelly, you've been doing this work a long time. Mm-hmm. What what keeps you feeling inspired to do this work? That is so interesting um, that what I am inspired by, why I've been inspired as long as I have, is that I can see the change. The difference between somebody who's been doing this work for a few years and me who is all told now is almost 40 is because I can see the change that the work that we have done has made since 1984 when I got involved. They didn't even have domestic violence centers except in a couple places in the country, starting California and started moving this way. And it's a it's a full sector. It's a it's a recognized profession at this point. So I can see the same thing in other areas. I see more women running for office. I don't see enough, but I see more women running for office. So I can see the change. And so what I know and what inspires me is that if we try hard enough, if there are enough people that believe you or join your voice in trying to make a difference, things there are differences that get made, and that inspires me. Right now, what's inspiring me the most is that I'm at the end of this. I'll probably do it as a volunteer for the rest of my life, but I am starting to think about an RV and traveling. And so what inspires me is to make sure that younger women are getting fed like I was fed. And so turning them on to this work is literally the number one thing that gets me up every day. I know that feeling. Yeah. I, I hear you. I can relate to that completely. Yes. It is really a funny thing to realize you're now at the tail end of your yes. career. And what is your responsibility in that exit plan? Or what do you want as your lasting impact in that? You know, you for so long, you're so focused on the work. You don't think about those sort of things. But now as you think, you know, it's time for other people to take the helm, it's an interesting perspective. You know, it's interesting what you just said made me want to put like four other people, women just like me and you around the table. Because the other interesting thing about aging is that the the natural rhythm is to kind of push you on. Because younger people come up and they take those leadership roles, which is exactly what it should be. But what's happened is that it's there's sort of a natural putting you to pasture. That is fascinating to me. It's it's also hurtful and painful sometimes, but it's also natural and fascinating. And so I think at, at the age of about 55 to 65 is when we really feel that. It'd be interesting to sit around with other women and talk if that's their same experiences. Yeah, and, and how they – what are they doing to make themselves still feel relevant and engaged in the process it's different things, you know, and it's a kind of a funny thought. It is funny. And you work in the public eye and it's different because when people see you all the time, um, that that sort of I'm becoming a little bit more invisible is different than if you never had that at all. And wanting that, I think, becomes the key. Mm-hmm. I think we have to want that autonomy that comes from not invisibility, that's an unfair word, but... Being able to be okay yes. not being in the front. Yes. Yeah, I watch Monique all the time. So I was Monique at 35. 
that's what happened when I came into Refuge House. There was like five years where nobody could get enough of me and what I wanted to talk about. And I revel in watching that. It's so magnetic and so wonderful. And when she calls me for anything, it excites me. So I think it's interesting because I haven't really answered that question. But when you said what does inspire me, it literally is to make sure I've given as much as I can to these young women and men that are coming up. And then, no, I did my – I. it's like a river. I always saw women's – the work to – alleviate barriers for women and girls as a river and we're only on the on the banks and in the river for a short period but it keeps moving so we have to figure out how that next generation learns the lessons and then rejects what they need to but goes on with the story absolutely i love that i love the visual of that i think it's so true yeah yeah it it really is well we have plenty here to edit down. Oh, good. But is there any parting thoughts you'd like to share with with our listeners? Reflection on your career and well, the work you've done? The most important thing that's guided my work is I always have believed that we have to stand up when something isn't right. And learning how to do that's very hard because sometimes you're the only person standing up. But my personal motto is, if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? And that mantra, I've said that mantra at times when I stood up where my voice was shaking because I knew that I was in hostile territory, but I needed to say what I needed to say on behalf of the people that couldn't say it for themselves. So I think we have an obligation when something's wrong to say something. And that takes you to bed at night, puts your head on the pillow, and makes you feel good about the fact you got up for the day. Absolutely. Yep. So, Kelly, we could sit here and talk for like another hour, I think. And it's been really fun to have some time with you. So thank you so much for doing this and coming in and, and for all that you've done to support our community. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that I was here. Thank you. My name is Kelly Audie, and I'd like to see a world that cares about each other and works to make it fair.